Podcast episode 294. I'm your host, John X. Thank you for joining us. Glad to have you back once again. And man, coming up this summer, I have got so much planned. Thrilling. It's so different than last summer, right? It just feels different. Part of it has to do with the fact that it is just so freaking hot. But you know what? That's okay. It was cold like I felt like the first half of this year. And finally, the sun's out. I'll endure some heat to have some fun. And one of the things we got coming up, is my 20-year high school reunion. Technically, that should have happened last year. But, well, you remember last year, yes? So we moved it to this year. That happens in about a month. And part of what I'm doing is I am one of the people planning this. And I've reached out to my friends with companies, and I said, hey, would you like to sponsor the reunion? You get an audience with people kind of predisposed to like what you do and support what you do, and you lower the ticket prices for everyone else. We get to have really cool stuff there. And so many of my classmates have been like, yes, I'm down. Put me down at the highest level. You know why else that's great? Because it's like, hey, you own your own business. I have a business-based podcast. Why don't you come talk to me? So first up in the hopper, I've got CJ Latham. I feel weird calling him CJ, even though that's what I know him as, because professionally, he is known as Clint Latham. Now, Clint slash CJ has been on this show before. It's about three years ago. We spent a lot of time talking about coffee, talking about biking, photography, all sorts of stuff, philosophy, and things have changed in that time. And I suppose over the course of seven years of doing this show, people are allowed to change, evolve, grow, shift gears, take the entrepreneurial leap, or in CJ's case, get pushed off the entrepreneurial cliff. And so that's what we talk about. CJ is the creator of Luca Veterinary Data Security. It's a cybersecurity firm focused primarily on veterinary practices. Now, he tells me that most of the things in here are applicable to any business, taking care of your data, ensuring you're not getting hit with a ransomware request, and basically just making sure that you're avoiding disaster instead of something that could be a minor inconvenience with some good prep and some best practices. And so I asked him, dude, I know you from high school, back when we were all just into punk rock and going to ska shows and like goofing off with each other, you got your law degree. How did you end up in cybersecurity, especially in the field of veterinary medicine? And so that story is really interesting. In fact, this entire episode is just packed with really interesting stuff. He tells me stuff I didn't know about cybersecurity and cybercrime. We talk podcasting because he's got his own podcast. It's called the People of Veterinary Medicine Podcast. I remember eons ago it was his idea, so I consulted with him on it a little bit. He took it, ran with it, is doing great. So we talk podcasting. We talk about the dream of owning your own business. And CJ is one of those people that I love to talk to because he is extremely well-read, can converse with you on any subject, and has interesting opinions about the world. So we do some of that too. It's a really jam-packed 50 or so minutes that I think you'll really, really enjoy. If you like the first one, you're going to dig this one too. Another thing to point out, I spend a lot of time on this show talking about beginnings. So we talk about the origin of Luca, but that is necessarily tied in with the end of his previous life. And I don't get to talk about endings all that frequently. And sometimes they're messy. 
I refer to it as a messy breakup here. He gets laid off. The guy he's working for continues to just needle him and continues to make his life difficult. And I always wonder why. The people who are wired that way, I will never, ever understand. If this thing has come to its end, can we please just part ways and move forward on our own? Some people aren't wired that way. I do not relate to those people. But talking about that process, I think, is really useful, really instructive. That's all coming to you here in short order. But first, I'd like to give some love to my own entrepreneurial venture. It's Deft Communications. That's my firm. I founded it more than six years ago, and I do all manner of traditional PR. So what is that? Is that media relations? Yes. Is that content creation? Absolutely. I do all manner of writing, whether you're doing op-eds, letters to the editor, newsletters for your company, whether that's internally facing or externally facing. Do you need presentation training? I have a company that I work with. I'm putting their entire department through a four-week communication training. I can develop that for you. Or are you interested in podcasting? As I mentioned, I spoke with CJ briefly as he was kind of ideating this thing. I do that both formally and informally. So if you need help getting your show up and running, if you need to determine its direction, its ideal audience, its production, whatever, I can produce it from start to finish if you want. I have three shows right now, two of which I did the front end branding for, and all three of which I produce all of their episodes. So that's all under Deft Communications, D-E-F-T-C-O-M dot U-S. Want to hit me up on email? John at deftcom.us, J-O-N at D-E-F-T-C-O-M dot U-S. Now then, that's enough plugage here on the front end. Let's get to this week's episode. It's number 294. CJ Latham is back for a second tour of duty here on the John of All Trades podcast. He is the creator of Luca Veterinary Data Security, and we cover so much ground in our time together. Cannot wait to see him in real life at our reunion. So for you, for now... Here's episode 294 with CJ Latham, and it starts right now. We say that it's interesting because we say that it's like a bad paradigm to be like glued to your phone and like the first thing you check is your phone. But for me in my work life, like I have to check, check my phone to make sure nobody's in some sort of disaster situation. <laughs> yeah, that the world um, isn't burning around you. Yeah, exactly. And so, yeah, wake up and make sure that like there's anything major going on. And then generally, depending upon the day of the week, I kind of have like a structured set of things that I need to do or accomplish. I have a content writer and he writes us a new article every week. And so like a Monday, he submits that, you know, every Monday morning. And so generally when I wake up, he's already got that in my inbox. And so, you know, I make coffee and, uh, you know, listen to the radio for a bit. And then I review his article and then I get published and kind of submitted. And then generally I kind of live week by, you know, week by week, day by day, just like as to what's booked in my calendar. So many people have access to like my, my calendar leak that I literally, I literally, I have to like, I've gotten to a point where I have to schedule my workouts. So I'm like, I really <laughs> want to like the weather's supposed to be good. I want to get this bike right in. So I have to block it out. So nobody else blocks any time in. And then, yeah, I mean, it's, it's also a lot of the bed industry is interesting, you know, if you want to be successful, but I also enjoy it in that you have to do a lot of like speaking engagements and, and a lot of webinars and stuff. So I do quite a few of those within the industry. Um, I will be getting back on the road and starting to travel more. So I'll be speaking at Wild West Vets and then the Fetch Conference, and then I'll be going to the Veterinary Innovation Summit uh, later this summer. So that stuff's starting to come back around. Um, normally, if 
pre pre COVID, it would be basically October through February on the road, pretty much. Wow. So this is CJ Latham, also known as Clint Latham professionally, which uh, which always throws me for a loop. But uh, it's it's how you're listed. It's you know whenever whenever you are doing something professionally, and this is your second tour of duty on this show because. The, yeah. the first time you were on, we were talking mostly about bike a latte and we were talking about, I think, just some of the other stuff you had going. And you had a lot of irons in the fire at the time. It seems like you've narrowed down into Luca. And like, can you take me through that journey? Because when did we talk? That was like three years ago, I think, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah, I was working in the vet space. I don't know how to describe it other than like divine intervention. Like really, I mean, really? sometimes like. Like, I'm like, I'm not smart enough to make these decisions, you know, and like make some of this stuff fall into place. So like, I don't know how else to describe it. So yeah, I was at the, you know, last time we talked, I was working and I really had a lot of passion to create bike latte and get that off the ground and and create a a supplement product. But then uh, last year, so it's almost been a year. Yeah. I got laid off from the company I was working on, working with in the vet space. And I love the industry. Some of my closest friends are in the industry. And it was like over that, three, you know, four or five year period of, of being in the vet industry and being heavily involved. I had seen this problem, uh, basically like a cybersecurity, major cybersecurity issue within the industry. And when I got laid off, I had, I had already been talking to some friends about, um, and sussing an idea to potentially pitch it to the company I was working for to have like a separate division, right? Cause we had other problems about like client acquisition costs and we were also working in the tech space, but we weren't really good at this. And, I thought this was a good barrier to entry. Like it would, it would allow our customers to come in at a, at a cheaper price point, And then we could kind of sell them on this like higher price point. Well, when I got laid off, i still had this idea and just, yeah, some of my friends in the industry were like, dude, well, why don't you, hmm. you've been talking about this like Luca idea. Why don't you do it? And I was like, yeah, that's a hell of an idea, you know? And um, at the time, like bottling and making coffee became tough because I couldn't get into the kitchen where I was, was bottling it. Hmm. And there was also this weird position of like, trying to decide like, was I going to invest in a shit ton of inventory and hope that it sells or, or piss that money away or kind of do something else? Yeah. So, okay. First of all, um, I'm struck by how many stories I hear about layoffs leading to something transformational. Like, and I mean, that's part of my origin story too. I'd been looking to start my own thing for a long time. Eventually I got paid to quit. I've told this story so many times in this show, I'm not going to rehash the entire thing, but a lot of times it'll give you the kick in the ass that you really need to do what you want. Like it, my friend Will Matthews likes to say leap in the net will appear. Well, I think that's also true if you're on the edge of that cliff and you get pushed, right? Like maybe you didn't jump. Maybe you got pushed and you go, Oh crap. I got to build a plane on the way down here. And so like, <laughs> and so like that's such a cool thing when you can turn that what, what can be upsetting. It can be, you know, uh, a lot of upheaval into gold. And it sounds like that's kind of what led you to that. And it, it's great that you had people in your life that you trust and that you like, and that you respect telling you, Hey, you should go do this because a lot of times that's all you need. Yeah. Well, exactly. And like looking back on it, it sucks because the company I was working for, like, I love that company. Like I, I put everything into it. You know, most of the people in the industry, it's funny looking back because a lot of people in the industry, you know, now that I've talked like they didn't realize, like they don't, they remembered me, but they didn't remember the company I worked, company I worked for. <laughs> and they were like, 
oh, what are you doing now? And I was like, oh, well, I started this new thing. And they're like, oh, yeah, you were doing, what was that other company you worked with? So it was like, I had built this like relationship within the industry. And so, yeah, looking back on it, you're 100% right, like this pain. You know, I think it's like, again, back to this idea of like divine intervention. Like I never would have made the jump myself. Yeah. And I never would have thought to start this company on my own. But it was almost like, yeah, somebody was just like kicked me in the pants and I'm like, this is going to suck for the first like three to six months, but you know, it's going to be far better in the long run. And looking back on it, yeah, I wouldn't change anything for the world. It's been the best thing to ever happen to me. And, uh, I'm really lucky in the fact that COVID was something positive for me. (laughs) Yeah, no joke. So one, one lesson that everyone learns at one point or another, and literally every person will learn this unless it's your company that you started. You can love a company and you can love it deeply and you can give everything you have to it. That company will never love you back the way that you love it. And like that is such a hard thing to realize. And after getting dicked over on performance evaluations so many times and like killing myself, walking through fire, I go, what am I even doing here? I, I don't even have to work this hard at my own company. And so, like, learning that, it, it, was, it was very freeing in a lot of ways. It's liberating. Yeah, 100%. 100%. And uh, you're right. And the, the funny thing is, is that, like, even post-layoff, like, m- my old boss, like, he did some pretty nefarious stuff, um, mm-hmm. in my opinion, because he's also involved in the industry. And even though, like, he got wind that I was, like, starting this new thing, and, of course, he saw that as competition, even though it's, like, not competition. Oh, God. And, oh, okay. And I'm talking like, I'm, I'm talking, I mean, it was a rough road, right? Like I'm getting, I'm getting letters from his attorney with all these fake, with all the, you know, the cease and desist and all this, like all this fake bullshit that. Yeah. Just this threatening nonsense, right? Yeah. No, I, and, 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 and CJ, don't, don't censor yourself. It's the internet. No one cares. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but uh yeah, I mean, so then I had to spend the money like. Even though, like, even though I spend a lot of money to go to law school, I was like, well, I don't have the time to fight this myself. So, you know, I ended up an attorney that, because I actually had a, a friend in the industry who invested in me. And so we were building the partnership at the same time. And yeah, so I had to have, get an attorney involved. And then I, I'm scheduled to speak at a uh, an event last summer, a virtual event. And then he files like an ethics violation with that organization a week before I'm supposed to speak. And then, so like essentially to try to like, and the, the craziest thing is, is like, even in the whole like legal negotiation basically came out to nothing. Like there was some like old hardware that he wanted back that he never <laughs> asked for. Cause he didn't even, like, I had no clue I was even getting laid off. Like it was like, it was like all of a sudden like, Hey, I need you to come in the office tomorrow at eight. And it was weird. Cause I never came in the office and I was like, okay, something's going on. Yeah. And then, yeah, it was like three months later. He's like, Oh, by the way, you know, you've got this old hardware and like that one one of the threats so we like send him the hardware back and like whatever else you want like i was willing to give him like because i had built up a bunch of travel miles on the company i'm like dude i'll sign you over like my my miles or whatever you want you just tell me right like just trying to like just please leave me alone back to take right like like can we just can we move on yeah exactly and so then i even uh yeah even in like the, the legal negotiations my attorney was like hey well what about this vet partners thing you know, because they they said that they were going to have to file an ethics violation with uh, vet partners because now I was like competition to him or whatever. God. And they were like, oh, well, that's there's nothing we can, you know, his attorney was like, well, there's nothing we can do. And, you know, it's, it's all fine and dandy. 
And then, yeah, like a week before I'm supposed to speak at this event, I get like a notice from, from the ethics committee that was like, Hey, we got this letter. And then it's funny. Cause then like months go by, I don't hear from them. Like I, I, I filed my rebuttal. I send them all, all the communication between my attorney and them. And then finally, like they call us back and they're like, Oh, sorry. Yeah. They're like, we, you know, you know, maybe you can just like call them and like, say sorry or something. It's like, well, he won't let me talk to him. So we like, we sent a letter, you know, we sent a letter to his attorney or whatever at the end of the day to be like, sorry, you're so upset about this. Like, so yeah, it was like all of that on top of like trying to figure out how you're going to feed yourself. And yeah. And so it was, it was a great journey. <laughs> Dude, that, uh, I, I'm always dismayed when I hear stories about messy breakups like this, because it's like, Hey, listen, guy, you laid me off. Um, yeah. I, I gotta figure out a way to keep going here and I'm trying to create this thing. And all you're doing is trying, you're still trying to keep me under your thumb. And exactly. it's, it's like, why? Like how petty dude, life is too short for that. In my estimation, like I, I'm not, I'm not a guy who like needs a pound of flesh from people. If we part ways, I just want to be done with it. Like just be like, Hey, okay, this part is over. Let's both move forward positively. And I, I hate it when people feel the need to continue to be in the muck like that. So I'm sorry you had to go through that. It sucks. Oh, yeah. No, it's okay. I mean, it's it's part of the journey, right? And, right. Um, I think that's the other piece of it is it's like, you know, you got to be willing to live. You hear, it's kind of a cliche saying, right? Like you got to be willing to live for a year like most people won't so you can live the rest of your life like most people won't. And it's true because how many people in my situation maybe would have been like, all right, fuck it. I'm going to throw the towel in and just try to repeat. I just don't want to deal with it. But, you know, at the end of the day, I was like, hell no. You know, like I've got like, A, I've got somebody in the industry who, who believes in me enough to give me capital to help me, to help me survive while I figure this out. And B, like, I've clearly got a great reputation in this industry and some, and a problem to solve and something to really give back. Yeah. So why should everybody else and myself suffer? Because, you know, somebody else's security depends on my stagnation. Right. So yeah. So I just had to keep going with it. And yeah, there's stressful times, you know, it sucks. You don't ever want to deal with it, but yeah, such is life. So I don't, I don't know this guy, but fuck him. Uh, we, we, <laughs> we should, we should be done uh, talking about him. Let's talk about that. Yeah. The now. So this company you created is called Luca, which the name behind mm-hmm. it, I think is really cool. You do a whole video on your website about it. Yeah. Um, but Basically, you're doing cybersecurity solutions for vet practices, and I'm curious. Uh, I, I have a couple of things like off the top of my head here. One is I've heard one of the fastest-growing industries is not cybersecurity but cybercrime in terms yeah. like that. that it, there are more people uh, practicing cybercrime than there are people doing cybersecurity. So, yeah. number one, I'm interested in the verification of that. Number two, what kinds of risks are faced by veterinary practices that you may not know? Yeah. So, okay. So the, yeah, to answer the first question, it's grown exponentially because they're actually, we just put out an article this morning about it. So that, that group rebel that, that just attacked JBS, the, the meat, meat, oh, yeah, the meat packing, meat, meat manufacturer. Yeah. So them, and then there's like other companies called like, like dark side, which is the one that attacked colonial pipeline. Yeah. They do what we call like ransomware as a service. And so they have a team of developers that work at these higher up a lot of, I mean, I don't think there's any ties yet. I haven't heard anything in the chain. So I'm kind of clutching at straws, but you know, we have cyber warfare going on between government organizations. A lot of times like the fancy bears who are, who are Russian. And then you have all these nicknames for all these different organizations, like the South Koreans when they attack or not South Koreans, but the North Koreans when they attack Sony, 
they're looking for other ways to make money. And when you have a $20 billion industry and all you have to do is say, okay, you go to somebody and you're like, they're like, Hey, we want to, yeah, we want to, we want to get in this ransomware game. And they're like, okay, cool. We have the tools. You just have to get, you just have to do the social engineering or whatever you're going to do to deploy it. And then we'll split the ransom at the end of the day. The thing is, is it used to be, you know, well, just throw some like anti-malware or anti-virus protection on your local workstation and, and, and call it good. But it's not that way anymore because they've gotten so sophisticated. And so it is be- because most people don't take it serious. I think JBS is the first large company that actually had like cybersecurity as forefront in their mind. Mm-hmm. And so like even the CEO was like, no, we were ready for this. It was it was a big inconvenience, but we're not we didn't pay the ransom. Like we we had the business continuity in place to, to take care of ourselves. So wow. to tie that in, the, to tie that into the vet space is that the vet industry, they, they don't understand how cybercrime works, right? So a lot of times it's, you know, spray and pray, right? Like these <laughs> cyber criminals are looking for the easiest way in, or, you know, I heard an inch, there's a insurance group in the, in the vet space, AVMA, they're American Veterinary Medical Association, but they also sell cybersecurity PLIT insurance. They did a, they had done a, a webinar last year and they were talking about like the average claim per cyber incidents, which I think is like 135 grand for most vet hospitals. And then, you know, they were, they actually gave a great analogy that it's like a waterfall. So they looked for the path of least, least resistance. And because the vet space doesn't take it seriously, like they're like, why would somebody want to attack my little hospital in Ohio, in Iowa, right? Like who's going to come after us? And it's like, well, that's not how it works. They know that you don't take it seriously. They know that you're pro, you know, if you're, if you're an average practice doing 365 grand per exam room per year. So say you have three exam rooms, you're roughly doing a million dollars a year. There's some capital throwing, flowing through this hospital. Sure. And that's average, right? Like that's aha numbers. So if you're a good practice, you could be doing anywhere from five to 600,000 or maybe more per exam room. So, you know, if you're a two, three, six million dollar practice, they know that that's easy money, right? Like right. That's, I think the one thing they don't realize is that there's slim profit margins in vet med, you know? So if you're 20% profitable in vet med, you're doing really well. And so if a hospital is working on that and say they are a million dollar practice, and then you get hit with $135,000 ransomware fee. I mean, that's all of your, all the profit you worked real hard in one year. Just yeah. when no okay. So just basically they don't take it seriously. Okay. So basically what you're describing is this is a metaphor I really like uh, in terms of, like, did you see the social network, you know, with, um, Justin Timberlake and Jesse Eisenberg, like came out like a decade. No, I never did watch it actually. No. Okay. It's pretty good. But one thing they talk about, uh, it's, it's like one of the famous lines in the movie is, uh, a million dollars isn't cool. You know what's cool? A billion dollars, you know? And so essentially, and bear with me here, I swear this is like going to relate back to what you said, <laughs> but you, you never see a guy in his den holding like 14 trout, right? You see a guy holding the 1,400-pound marlin. What you're describing is a bunch of ransomware people and cyber criminals who are looking to collect those 14 trout, right? Yeah. So you're not going to go after Colonial Pipeline for $200 million or whatever. You're going to go after yeah. a veterinary practice, make $135,000, and you're going to do that a bunch of times because how many vet practices are there? Is that accurate? Exactly, yeah. There are 36, roughly 36,000 vet, pro- vet practices across the U.S., so if you think, I mean, I would, 
I mean, if I had to do the math, I would say 75% of them are, are just set up for disaster. Because one area of our business that we do has been growing a lot is doing cybersecurity audits. And so when sure. we audit most of these hospitals, I mean, you're just like, look, you're, I mean, you're set up for disaster. In, mm-hmm. in the fact that you have no way to turn this from a major disaster to an inconvenience with some sort of business continuity in place. So I'm not even talking about having the tools in place to help stop it from even getting in. I'm talking about just like you have the doors open, but if they come in, how do you kind of quickly get them out and not pay them? Yeah. And that's the biggest, the biggest problem, I think. Wow. And so I, I was curious too, like my initial thought and I'm not in the industry, so I, I hope my reaction would be different if I were. But mine was, why would anyone attack a vet practice anyway? And it wasn't just the ransomware I was thinking of, but depending on how many patients you have, there's a lot of potential like credit card numbers, there's identity theft, there's lots of avenues that maybe, yeah, you wouldn't think of. But if if you're thinking about a practice that has uh, the identifying info of your customers, I mean, pets are kind of a luxury good, too, in a lot of ways. If you have a dog or a cat... Maybe, maybe it's a high end breed of a dog. You know, maybe you have one of those designer breeds. Uh, there's some avenues there to where you can, you can get your fingers into a lot of people's information. Is that also true? Yeah. So we see, we see two common, the two most common attacks in vet, in vet med are ransomware and then BEC, which is business email compromise. So ransomware we kind of talked about. Yeah. I think what most people don't, an important point on ransomware that I think most people don't realize is that it's not just me locking you out of your data and then asking for, you know, you know, 200 grand in Bitcoin. What they do is they get on the network and they've, so once you get hit with ransomware, they've already been there for probably 14 days. So like they've been there for a while. So it's not like they just got in and then immediately encrypted your network. They've been sitting there for a while. What they do now is they look to garner, or any information and then blackmail you. So they basically say after they encrypt your network, or some of them, depending on the organization, they will email you and send you copies of the data that they have available on your hospital. And they're like, we're going to release this information if you don't pay us. And if you don't pay us, then we're going to encrypt your data. So you still have to pay us. Okay. And so now it's like this two stage thing. So it used to be like, yeah, you know, if you had good business, you know, continuity in place where we can just kind of restore everything back in a matter of minutes then it didn't matter. But now you're at a point where if you don't have the proper protections in place, they'll get in, exfiltrate all your data, and then essentially blackmail you. I think a great example of this is we work with a lot of smaller corporate buyout groups that um, go in and they're looking to acquire hospitals. So anybody that's an investor, I mean, get into VetMed because, I mean, it's kind of recession-proof, which is interesting. I mean, VetMed was booming during COVID. Dude, there were waiting lists for people with dogs. Like, to your point. Like so many people were like, well, I'm at home. All, like I can't go anywhere. I may as well take the time to train a dog. Like I've always wanted to. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. COVID puppies as people. Right. Call the yeah. <laughs> right. um, I mean, there was a, a, a guy that was looking to, on the East coast and he was looking to sell his practice. Well, again, he got hit with ransomware before that, but before they had gotten in and exfiltrated a bunch of data, had some key loggers, they gained access to his social media profiles his profile they found that he was actually going through kind of a messy personal situation oh geez and so basically they then and then they, then they also found out that they were he was trying to sell this practice so they send a communication to the doctor in this group that's trying to buy the practice and saying like hey uh if you don't give us you know half a million dollars 
we're going to release all this information. Well, the corporate group knew that like, okay, if this gets out, it's going to destroy the reputation of the practice. And so they washed their hands of it and they're like, we're out. We oh, can't geez. do this. And so here's a guy who owned a practice for 30 or 40 years looking to cash in on his retirement, you know, get his six, $7 million check or whatever. And, you know, even higher than that, because sometimes most practices are going six, seven times EBITDA. And now they're like, nope, we're out. We can't handle it. And so there's a, I mean, that's one thing to kind of, you know, how it's working. And it was kind of a long story. The second one is business email compromise where they get access to your email account. You don't know that they're there. They'll be there for months. And then they start, um, they gain access to the practice management system. And then they start sending, especially if you're cloud-based, and then they start sending fake invoices to your customers. Like, hey, uh, we did this, you know, we did this dental on Fluffy, but we forgot to charge you this anesthetic piece. Uh, can you just pay the link here? And so you have people, A, calling the practice because now they're pissed off. Like, what the hell? I paid my bill when I left. And then people like just not realizing like, oh, I love Dr. Smith, you know, so like just paying the bill and all this money's going to hospital. We had a hospital that called us last week that essentially had $47,000 extorted from them. Oh, uh, God. Like, oh, from, from their customers? Like, well, no. So it, not, not including what we, what their customers lost. Cause we don't know. Uh, we don't know who actually paid in the invoices. In this case, they then had created, they found out who one of their vendors was. They knew who the accountant was. And they, so they basically sent an email pretending to be the owner of the practice to the accountant saying, Hey, we need to pay this vendor bill for a new x-ray table or whatever. Yeah. And they wrote, they wrote the account wrote back. Are you sure about this? No. Yeah. Yes. I'm, I'm, thank you for checking. This is real. So she pays the 47 grand. It wasn't until they tried to do it again, two weeks later for 95,000 mm. that the accountant then picked up the phone to call the owner of the practice and was like, Whoa, what's going on here? And she's like, no, no, no. You said for, I didn't authorize 47. And then they realized that they haven't hacked, but because the way, they sit in there and they sit behind the scenes for weeks. You have no idea that they're there unless you have the proper protections in place. Dude, what strikes me about this is, I mean, I know you as like, I, I always enjoy talking to you and like we, we have great rapport. You, you always have like interesting things to say. Like, I mean, on the previous episode, we talked about your love of coffee, how you, you like taught yourself really cool magic tricks and like that. And you'd love biking and you were doing triathlons on and on and on. With this kind of business, you almost have to be like a boogeyman, right? Yes. Because <laughs> yeah. you, you are describing kind of worst case scenarios and like things that have actually happened to people. That story about the guy who wants to retire, dude, that's heartbreaking. That sucks. Or, you know, like vendors calling and being like, yo, what's up with this? Uh, 47 grand, 95 grand, what's going on? And so like, does it ever get you down? Like in this, or does that steal your resolve in terms of wanting to do this to protect these practices? Yeah, no, I think it's the opposite. And what's interesting is like, so one of my, uh, uh, this gal Logan, amazing, amazing person on my team. And, you know, we were talking, we've, I've been working to try to become a better leader. And so we've been having these conversations. I'm like, you know, well, you know, you're kind of leading the charge on these cybersecurity audits. And in long story short, she's like, well, you know, I realized that I really like being the the solutions person. Like I hate coming to them with all these problems. Mm. And so, you know, for, for me, I don't mind talking about this stuff and I don't mind kind of being the bad guy where like Logan, you know, it's just not the right situation. So we shifted it, right? Like, okay, that's, you don't feel best there. So we'll shift it to where after the audit, you're working with them to implement the protections. And, and, and so the, the, 
the overall product's the same, but maybe even better because, you know, now she's focusing on something she really enjoys. So where I'm going with that is that like, I don't have a problem talking with this stuff because I do love the industry. I think I've had, when I started the company, I had a lot of my friends in the tech space were like, dude, go into human med. Like you have HIPAA compliance, you have all these other rules, you'll make a killing. But the problem was, is that I'm like, yeah, but like, I mean, I would say one out of a hundred vet practice owners is an asshole, right? Like, <laughs> right. Over, I mean, overall, the the industry is just, they're, they're insanely empathetic, really great people um, that just want to like, you know, like you imagine, you met, when you talk to them, you know, you imagine the kid who's like three, who they're, most of their entire life, they're like, I just want to fix animals, right? Like, I just want to make them healthy. And, and so you have such like an, an awesome group of people that have no idea. And it's almost like a big brother kind of feeling, you know, where I'm like, I have to protect you. Oh. And so, yeah, I don't really mind it. And sometimes the only way to get through to them is to show them real facts and real statistics because they kind of have that science mindset. And so, yeah, I've just gotten used to being the bearer of bad news, you know? <laughs> Well, you kind of answered this too. I was wondering, like, why vet medicine? Because, I mean, I, my suspicion is that's not what you were pointed toward in college. Was, yeah. th- was this something that, that sort of came to you? But, like, g- give me a little bit more about the origin story of why vet medicine as far as a niche. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, um, at the time I was work, I was, I was working, this was a number of years ago. This was probably six or seven years ago now. Graduated law school in 2015. So I was graduating. And I had like ideas of grandeur of moving to like the Bay area and working for a company like specialized in like doing corporate law and riding bikes in the Bay area and drinking coffee. Right. Like it was kind of like, that was my, my, that was my idea of the easy life. And, um, at the time I was sitting on a board here locally in Jefferson County called victim outreach and, you know, the district attorney, Pete Weir and his deputy DAs, they were all on the board. And so I knew I didn't want to go into, criminal law. Like I just right. saw like the weight of it. And there was like this running joke. They're like, Oh, Klinsky, you know, once he, once he passed the bar, he's going to come work for us. And I was like, hell no. Like I'm out. <laughs> like their attorneys were working on like the Jessica Ridgeway case and stuff. Oh, and Jesus. The yeah. Weight, yeah. The weight on, on their souls. And I'm like, there's no way I can do that. So I was working full time while putting myself through school and I was working for a tech company remotely who was based in Florida and they were selling. And so I knew I had to get out. I knew I had to find something else. And I actually had come across this job um, in vet med and I was like, well, I love my dogs. I, you know, that sounds fun. And it was another tech company. And yeah, so I got in with them and then, yeah, it was just like, again, I think back to what I talked about originally, it's just like this divine intervention that like led me to vet med because now like my closest friends and colleagues are in vet med. I'm, you know, now I sit on the board for the Rocky Mountain Veterinary Medical Reserve Corps. I'm helping with this project called Care for the Healer because there's a big suicide problem within vet med. Really? Um, and so it's just like, yeah, I don't know. I love, I love the science of it. I've worked, you know, when our, when our dog got cancer, I became really heavily involved with a lot of different medical groups who are looking to try to find new ways to cure cancer. And, you know, like Dr. Kassar Andre, who's here locally, like, I mean, my life has gotten so tied in the industry. It was like one of those things I really had no idea I had a love for until I got pushed into it. Totally. You know? And I think once I back to the idea of the people that I'm around, it was like, yeah, I need to protect them. So that's kind of, how it all happened. Well, I'll tell you this. I think a lot of people are married to whatever idea they have about the way their life should go. And the universe will push you a little bit. And you can either go like, okay, like be Zen about it and listen to that and lean into it. 
And some people will resist that. It's like, no, dude, the universe is telling you to do this. And it's like, no, no, I do this. Like, this is, this is who I am. And you go, I don't know, man. Like, sometimes you just got to listen to the universe. And it sounds like with, I mean, this, your new venture, getting into vet medicine in general, you're doing a good job of listening, which is always good because, I mean, that's the key to anything. If you're open to ideas, the universe will sometimes present it to you in a way where you go, oh, okay, I didn't anticipate this, but here we are. So that's cool, man. Exactly. I never would have, uh, I never would imagine, like, if somebody had been like, hey, you're going to own a cybersecurity data protection company in VetMed <laughs> when I was, when we were in high school, I've been like, dude, you're insane. Yeah. I want to play in a rock band and, like, you know, and tour around. And <laughs> I never would have had an idea yeah. in technology, you know? Yeah, totally. And it, it's so funny you bring that up because sometimes I wonder, like, if I were able to have a conversation with my younger self, right? Like, what, what would that look like? And how would younger me look at what I'm doing now? And, like, as far as, I mean, I've had this show now for seven years plus, but, like, I have a relationship with someone at Fat Records who I can call and, like, like get guests. Just having that alone, like, pointing to that, like, if I could say that to my younger self, it's like, that's cool. And it's like, you're married, you have two kids. And I'm like, okay, that's weird. I, I don't know that I would have necessarily <laughs> pegged that. But like, you got a nice house, man, and you work for yourself. Like what, like, I mean, as, as far as life goes, I, things are feeling pretty good. And it sounds like after, I mean, after COVID, after a little bit of trauma and some drama with your previous employer, it sounds like things are going pretty well for you. Is that fair? Yeah, man. I, yeah, I can't complain. Um, I'm incredibly, incredibly fortunate, have a lot of first world problems. Um, sure. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, really, really lucky to be in the situation I am, I'm in. Yeah. I definitely don't take that for granted. And I appreciate everybody that has encouraged me and, and helped me along. And cause a lot of times I'm like, you know, what did I do to deserve this opportunity? And I think sometimes I look back at like mistakes or things I've done in the past and you really regret that, you know, like you, I'm like, what, like, what a, what a dirtbag I was in, you know, like, what did I do to, to deserve this opportunity yeah. that I, that I'm in now? And so, yeah, sometimes it's tough, right? But it's, uh, Dude, I'm incredibly it's, grateful for it. it. It's almost like survivor's guilt in a lot of ways because you'll, you'll see life not pan out for people that you're really close to and your heart breaks for them, but that doesn't negate the fact that you deserve and can find success. And like, that's sometimes a hard thing for me to reckon with because I've been gifted with a lot of privilege. I've had so much help along the way and not everyone has that help. So, I mean, my philosophy is what can I do? And I always do my best to pay it forward. No, hundred percent. Right. And, uh, you're right. I just think about how do I, well, how do I just keep getting better every day? How do I stay humble and how do I look to serve? Right. Yeah. And keep kind of keep that servant's mentality and, Hopefully, if I can do that, you know, I can get better every day. 100%. Okay, so something else I wanted to talk to you about. After we did our first show, we had talked about a little podcast project, and you took it and ran with it. That's going now. Tell me tell me about the show that you host. How long has it been going, and have you found success with it? Yeah, I don't... Um... I don't know if that I've found success, like, like not monetarily. Um, well, dude, it's podcasting. You're, maybe. You're... I mean, maybe. I think you could. <laughs> Yeah. So, I mean, I don't know how, like how to define success. I mean, success for me so far has been, I did have, I also did have like a branding shift within it because I realized, because initially it was like the veterinary business insider. And I think when you and I had talked about this a while ago, it was initially because I was have, going to all, I was on the vet conference circuit and I was having all these great conversations with people. And I was like, man, all the practice, again, just this idea of serving back to the, to the hospital owner, like, 
most hospital owners aren't able to get out. You know, sometimes they go to whatever conference they have to go to just to get their CE requirements, but they don't really have the luxury of being able to really dig in and talk to talk to people. And so it was an idea of like talking to people who are helping the vet industry be better. And how do I share those conversations? What I realized throughout that journey, because it's been what a couple of years now, two years now, is that it became more and more about the people. And so it made a lot of sense, especially last year, to rebrand and shift it to the people of veterinary medicine. And so it, it's not really about the business. It's more about amazing people and vet men doing amazing things. So I think the reason it's successful for me is because I would, um, as I tell all the people that are willing to come on the show, is like, I would do this if nobody listened. Like if, <laughs> if nobody listened and nobody wanted to do the show, I would still do it because I enjoy the conversation and I enjoy being able to peel the layers of the onion and understand what makes them um, unique and what's their perspective. And there've been times where like, like Dr. Adam Christman, he's kind of like a celebrity in the vet space, you know, um, that when I interviewed him, I had so many people reach out to me. They're like, I have known Adam for so long. And there, I learned so many things about him that I had no idea about until I listened to your show. And that's what I enjoy. So, I mean, like, again, is it successful? Am I going to be the next next Joe Rogan of veterinary veterinary podcast? You know, probably not. But as far as success, I mean, it has allowed me to create amazing relationships with people and learn about learn about amazing people in this industry. And so, yeah, I guess it is successful in some regard. No, absolutely. And I mean, as far as the niche that you have, I would say there's a fairly hard ceiling on you know the levels of notoriety that you can achieve in this lane, right? I, I don't think that's unfair, but that is to say, or that's, that's also to say there are people, I, I help brand podcasts all the time. Like I consult on a number of shows. People will ask me for vi- advice formally and informally. Uh, and sometimes I end up producing shows, whatever. I'll ask, who is this show for? And if you can't define that simply and, and in a very defined way, your show is for nobody, right? Because if your aspiration is to be iTunes top 100, that is largely a fool's errand, but you know your audience, you know the guest targets that you have, and so serving that and doing the best version of that show, that's going to make a successful show. And I mean, once we're done here, let's talk uh, off recording about you know yeah. some of the benefits of that um, because they are real and and in ways that people don't necessarily understand. So I I think your philosophy and approach to this show is exactly right. It's fun that you get to do that too. I mean, literally my favorite thing is doing what we're doing right now. So having a podcast is kind of a pain in the ass in a lot of ways, but when <laughs> like, it's all worth it when you get to do this part. Yes. Yeah. Oh, like, you know, I hate the editing part. Oh like, God. Hate, that's the worst part. And so like, I have to like try to be conscious about like, okay, at the end of each interview do X, Y, and Z. And I will say that like, I honestly like listen to people like you who are, who are really good at this. Um, I really like, uh, Rich Roll. Do you know Rich Roll? Mm-mm. No, I don't know him. So he, so he's like, anyways, he's in like the sports and fitness and thing. And, um, anyway, he started a podcast that probably like when you did, like you had to be real intentional about it. Like you had to find the website, download it to your iPod, like manually transfer the files <laughs> kind of thing, you know? Yeah. But really how I started is I just listened to shows like yours and Rich Rolls and other ones that I really enjoyed in the format and why was it that I liked it. And then I just tried to, I mean, I basically just tried to copy that, you know, it was like, what did I like? Why do I like that format? How do I emulate that? 
And then I've tried to find ways, you know, I said, especially think with the rebranding things that were more unique to me and what I think were, were important. And so it has eventually kind of become more of my own idea stylistically, but initially, yeah, I just tried to emulate people like yourself to, you know, hopefully set me up for some sort of, some sort of success. Well, I, that's a incredibly flattering and b a good way of doing it too. I mean, you'll hear comedians. I think Mike Birbiglia said his early stuff was him basically aping Mitch Hedberg. You like, you find someone you like and you end up kind of copying their style a little bit. For me, when I started podcasting, the, the template that I ripped off was WTF with Mark Marin. Because if you listen to it structurally, and this is not like unique structure, but it starts with the intro, like you'll hear, you know, my, my pre-recorded intro, and then I do a little bit of monologue, and then there's a brief music cue, and then we're right into the interview. And then I, I do another outro. So structurally and architecturally, it's the exact same. Where I started to diverge was I was doing this monologuing about my own life, and even I was bored by it. Like, I did not have a talent for it. That, that was just patter that was f- taking up space. And I'm like, God, I, like, I hate this part. I don't like recording it. I don't like the way it sounds. So I basically just cut it down, shortened my intro a lot, and then, like, dedicated the bulk of the episode to the interview. Because if you remember The Simpsons, it's like, when are they going to get to the fireworks factory? <laughs> exactly. Right? Yeah. So that, exactly. that's how I was feeling with my show. So you're right. It's an evolution of process. You find something you like, you go, okay. Here's a good template. And then once I have that, I know like where to snip, where to change, where to move things around. And yeah, I mean, for anyone thinking of doing a podcast, find one you like, copy the format, make it your own, and then evolve it over time. Because in the early going, very few people are listening anyway. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> what I think what, what is interesting about it, and I think what I think was something I had to struggle with to come to terms with is that, you know, when I started, there were no, there were some like clinical podcasts where it was like doctors talking about clinical problems and how they were solving them. But there was nothing really, again, like your show where you're digging into the meat or like Rich Roll where you're digging into the person or even like Joe Rogan, like where you're really digging into the person and really opening the table to any conversation, you know, anything on the table that that person wants to talk about. So I was like, oh, I want to, you know, like I want to do that. Like I enjoy that and there isn't that. And I was trying to fill that void. And then as I, you know, a year or so into it, going to conferences, people are like, oh yeah, I own, you know, I have a Batman podcast, and I'm like, oh, that's awesome, you know. And I'm like, for me, it's not, I don't have like I try to have like the Carol Dweck growth mindset, right? Yeah. Like rather than scarcity mindset. And so I was like, awesome, you know, like if you ever want to collaborate or whatever, let me know. Like, and then you see them like all of a sudden now sponsored by other companies in the yeah. industry, and you're like, how the hell, you know? That you kind of it was it was a, a learning curve to realize like how the hell are they getting sponsorship and getting people to pay, you know, cover this. And then I'm like, you know what? But for me, that doesn't like, would it, would it, would it be nice to have the revenue? Yeah. But then am I beholden the potential of somebody who's paying for it on what conversations I can or can't talk about? Then that's not for me. And so while I can't say that I've ever had anybody want to invest in it, you know, on the other hand, I'm not sure that I'm interested in it because then it would potentially change the outcome of the work that I want to be able to put out there. I agreed 100%. And Everyone always looks to monetize a podcast too quickly for my taste. Like a podcast is a, a thing of beauty for me. It's my favorite medium. You, you rarely in life get to have a long kind of focused and directed conversation with someone about real shit. And when you start interrupting the flow of that with either ads or sponsorships or clearly profiteering motives, 
that to me kind of corrupts the purity of it in a lot of ways. And if you can make it clean, like I have one sponsor and I have since the get go and it, it, it helps me break even on this show. So having that is really useful, but it's not overdone. So it's kind of elegant in that way. I, I like that it's not corrupted by ulterior motives, which when you get shows that they go, we need to monetize this, we need to monetize this, we need to monetize this, show really starts to sound like shit. And so, like, if you're an independent podcaster, I, I would caution against that. Like, you need to have pure motives if you're going to start this. Once you get sold to Spotify for, say, $100 million, like Joe Rogan did, then the calculus changes and everyone kind of accepts that level of success. And, and it's part and parcel to that product. But I am 100% on board with you. And also, it is hard to keep your eyes on your own paper. Like, yeah. you know, like in a lot of cases, you're, you're watching and it's hard not to be envious of going, man, well, God damn it. Like, they haven't even been at it as long and that show sucks <laughs> compared to mine. And, but you go, you know what? Everyone runs their own race. Don't worry about it. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. I mean, even, and, and that's, and I guess, hopefully to make it clear, like I'm not against anybody that has found a way to monetize. I think it's amazing. Um, and if it works, I think it, you should do it and you should take advantage One, of it. 100%. Um, right. Yeah. So I'm definitely not against it, but it, yeah, I think for me, it was a learning aspect to say like, not to compare myself to other people, but to try to compare myself to the world, I guess. But I think that even in that line, that as I'm list, listening to myself, that line's a little bit bullshit, you know, because how do you not compare yourself to other people to try to be better, right? In right. some aspects of regard. So I guess compare myself into that maybe the work I'm doing isn't valuable when and how to understand what is really valuable for me and why I do it. That's more important. And then that's the reason why I'm like, fuck, like, okay, I got, it's almost Friday. I got to, it's Thursday. I got to edit this thing and, yeah. and, and go through that, you know, which is sometimes like an hour, you know, so it's like not yeah. that bad, but. Well, it, it, it takes time. And I mean, in, in the construction of a show from booking the interview to doing the interview to editing it to getting the, all the pieces together, then promoting it. By the time you get to the, end of an episode where it's birthed into the world like you're so done with it you're like a band that has just spent months <laughs> recording a new album and you go i don't want to hear these fucking songs ever again right? right but uh i i think you're right too i mean stay focused like keep your eye on the prize of what you're doing it's you, like it, you're right it's useful sometimes like i'll see someone doing something i'm like oh they're doing that really well like that's cool i need to start thinking about ways in which I can take that philosophy or take that basic structure and incorporate it into my own. So yes, there's some use in comparing yourselves to others, but I think what you're getting at is don't let that derail you from what's working and, and don't start chasing something that, that may not even be a good fit. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I couldn't have said it better. So, <laughs> uh, perfect. All right, man. Well, tell you what, here's the time on the show when we do plugs. Where I know you're kind of off social now. That's got to be part of your cybersecurity and also refreshing. Yeah. Um, so good for you on that. But uh, if you want to plug the company, where can they find Luca? Um, also, you mentioned that while it is tailored to vet medicine, the principles and the tools that you all use are applicable to businesses across the spectrum. So uh, yeah. I'm stepping on your plugs. However you want to plug, the floor is yours. So I'm not on Facebook, although technically I think I do have a Facebook account because I've had a lot of organizations that like want me to do Facebook live interviews. So you have to have an account to All do right. face. But I think you'll see a picture of me, but there's nothing else there. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't have social media on my phone. I mean, that's another interesting conversation. I've been really fascinated with um, the problems of, you know, somebody's become a who's somebody's been more concerned with 
data privacy, especially trying to understand it from the business perspective and helping, at least in what I understand, I understand the veterinary business model really well, you know, helping that practice owner understand what data is really important, how do we protect it, and how do we make sure that it's theirs? And how do I make sure you realize that there's a lot of value there? Because I think that's another thing they don't realize. Like, you go go try to sell your practice and tell them that you, your CRM or your basically your practice management system is empty, and then ask them how much money they're going to give you for the practice, right? So <laughs> I don't think many people realize that, like how valuable it really is. But yeah, I'm not, I am on LinkedIn. I think LinkedIn is one of the few um, social media platforms. I, I have seen some changes over the years, and I also think that there's this idea of people want to know there's been this push for people wanting to know the person behind the brand. So it has become a little bit more personal, yeah. personable. And I guess trying to put my marketing and business growth hat on, like I also think about that and I'm like, how do I let a little, you know, people in this group a little bit behind the scenes to know more about the person that they're, they're going to potentially be working with, right? Cause people want to do business with people they know, like, and trust. But also I think the LinkedIn business model is interesting in that, you know, Microsoft's model is to sell uh, job placement, ads for companies looking for qualified candidates. And so if they can be the leader in helping you find better qualified candidates, that's how they make their money. Where I think when we look at some of the uh, the other platforms, anytime something is free, you're the product, right? right? And that's something that I've realized. And like, you know, the Facebooks, Instagrams of the world, Google, the Googles of the world, they're beholden to the marketers. So they all, they're only trying to improve the product from the position that a marketer wants to continue and continue to invest in the product. And I think they're very clear about the fact that when they initially started the application, they used gambling models to hack to human, to hack the human (laughs) behavior process. And now it has switched where the gambling industry now looks to social media and how to keep people more engaged. So I think it, and this is stuff that's like not really, I mean, they're very open and transparent about this and I, but yeah, we just want you to be more engaged with your community or whatever. And there's, kind of some fluff mine. So yeah, for me personally, I was, I also saw a personal addiction to it, right? Like I was oh. like, I couldn't sit still and be bored. I was constantly reaching for my phone and trying to scroll through like, but I don't have LinkedIn on my phone, right? Like I still have an Instagram account cause I still like to shoot street photography and stuff. And, but it's, I have to access it through a web browser, which means I have to be more intentional about it. Yeah. And I can't just sit there and just mindlessly f- scroll all day and so for me there was also i saw like the i did see the addiction to it and even to this day i will sit down and um i still find myself reaching for my phone i'm like what the hell am i doing like it's, it's like this automatic repulse you know like waiting for to get a cup of coffee i can't just stand there for five minutes and be bored while i'm waiting for a cup like i'm constantly reaching for my phone so that's my whole social media thing so yeah, the company, yeah, Luca Veterinary Data Security, we focus on cybersecurity and data protection. We can really help any small business. And we do have other small businesses and partners that we have worked with uh, through referrals that aren't in the vet, the vet med uh, model. So we really can help anybody. It's just, we really understand the vet, the vet med business model. So there's a lot of unique things that we can do for veterinary med that maybe we can't potentially do for somebody in another industry. Um, if you're in dentistry, you know, we, it's pretty much carbon copy. I would say the business model and the structure, the only thing is we have, we have a little bit more compliance to deal with, with HIPAA, which makes our lives a little bit actually easier because we know (laughs) we have to be stricter. So yeah, it really, it means it's kind of the same. So you can find me on LinkedIn if you do want to connect with me somehow socially. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, the website's uh, luca.vet is the website. So you can always find us there. Um, yeah, I mean, if you, if you do work in vet med, you know, hope to see some people out of conferences this year, 
I guess shameless self-promotion, we did put out an entire technology course through Patterson Veterinary University. So if nice. you do need CE, you can go there and um, you can you can learn more about the technology in your practice, how to better manage it, how to implement some security uh, practices and policies yourself, and you get CE credit for it. So um, it's all race approved. So yeah, really excited about that. I, yeah, I think that's about it. That's me in a nutshell. So Luca.vet, that's L-U-C-C-A dot V-E-T. Those links, everything that Clint or CJ just mentioned, uh, will be found in the show notes, whether you're listening on iTunes, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Spotify, or any of the others. It's also at johnofalltrades.us, so go to johnofalltrades.us. Dude, this was a pleasure, and we reconnected because we got a high school reunion coming up that was uh, curtailed due to COVID, so I'm looking forward to seeing us together in real life. With a bunch of those yeah. kids, man, like it's so funny too, and we'll we'll talk about this later. But how many of us ended up starting our own kind of gig? And I think it's from folks that you may not have expected. If you went through the yearbook, maybe it doesn't look the way that you anticipated it. But I think that's the cool part, and why you do a reunion in the first place. So looking forward no, to. No, getting- you're right. Actually, you're. I've, I've thought about that a lot. Like I was thinking about like my experience in high school, I'm like, oh, this person's going to do this. You know, you have all these ideas of what this person, you know, who's yeah. going to be successful and who's not. And then, then later on, like, like Dylan Lippert, like the guy's like a head and neck surgeon. Like who would have thought, <laughs> like, I never, like, I mean, it's crazy, you know? Yeah. Um, and I, I mean, so, always yeah. a great dude, but like not yeah. a guy you expected necessarily to be a surgeon. So. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Too yeah. funny. I know it was, uh, I was talking with Brian G had like a, like this Christmas party and we were staying around and he's like, we were staying there with Tony Cap and he's like, who would have thought like us three skate punks would be a pilot, a doctor and an attorney, you know? And it's like, <laughs> yeah, you're right. You know? That's so awesome, dude. All right. Well, uh, can't wait till we get together in real life. CJ Latham, I wish you nothing but continued success. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. And that'll do it for episode 294 of the John of All Trades podcast with CJ Latham. Thanks for coming back, man. Always great talking to you. Cannot wait to see you in real life. Be sure to check out his company, Luca.vet. Find that in the show notes, whether you're listening on iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Spotify, and now Pandora. And a brand new platform, that's pretty exciting. New episodes drop on Wednesdays. Episode previews go up exclusively on Facebook on Mondays. The handle is J-O-A-T-Pod. That's true of Facebook, Twitter, Snapchat, Pinterest, and Instagram. All great ways of staying up with the John of All Trades podcast. And hey, if you're listening to the show, hit that subscribe button. Brand new episodes will come directly to you. And hey, while you're there, leave us a rating, leave us a review. It doesn't take that long. It's a nice help to John of All Trades. Let's pay some love to my sponsor, 4Degrees, the number 4, D-E-G-R-E dot E-S. Anything you're doing online, 4Degrees can help you do it better. Services, products, candidates, they will write you a campaign great messaging and then deploy it on the platform where the people who need to see it most will actually see it it's remarkable the work that they do proud to have them as a sponsor number four d-e-g-r-e dot e-s i'm out of here for this week i'm gonna enjoy the sunshine i'm starting to get a full stacked social calendar what a thrill what a different feeling man so i hope you're taking care of yourselves i hope you're getting outside eating the right food getting good exercise i hope to god you've been vaccinated already got a great show coming up for you next week so until i hear you back here again say good night gracie that's good johnny